0: The Indiana General Assembly is back in session and so are we. Welcome to Indiana Lawmakers, your weekly one-stop guide to what's happening in the State House and to what it all means for you, your family, your school, your community and your wallet. I'm your host, John Chwanis. Thanks for joining us as we begin our 34th season. Every week for the next four months we'll take an in-depth look at some of the biggest issues facing legislators, from crime and punishment, crumbling roads and college affordability to the future of K through 12 education, the availability of alcohol and marijuana, and the long-term viability of Indiana's casino industry. In a moment, we'll preview the 2015 session with the General Assembly's four caucus leaders, so don't go away. Indiana lawmakers, from the state house to your
1: house.
2: What if an app could give a voice to children silenced by autism? It can. Introducing Speak All. To learn more about this and more than 400 other world-changing Purdue technologies, visit otc-prf.org.
0: Aside from the obvious, the crafting of a two-year state budget, legislative leaders on both sides of the aisle and in both chambers pretty much agree on this session's top priorities, education, ethics, and economic well-being. But how they'll approach those priorities, well, that's a different matter altogether. Back once again for our traditional session and season kickoff, our House Speaker Brian Bosma, a Republican from Indianapolis, House Minority Leader Scott Pelath, a Democrat from Michigan City, Senate President Pro Tem David Long, a Republican from Fort Wayne, and Senate Minority Leader Tim Lannan, a Democrat from Anderson. And once again, I thank you all for joining in the discussion. Good, Thanks, to, good to have Thanks, you back. John. We're here to talk about the legislature and I guarantee you we will talk primarily about the legislature. But one thing that got a lot of attention this week was a person who was not a member of the House or the Senate, namely Governor Mike Pence and his possible White House aspirations. Even before the session began on Tuesday, Scott Pilath, you, at a media availability took on the governor and said this could be a a cast some sort of Blanket or Paul over the the session, explain that.
3: Well, here's the thing. First of all, you know, Governor Pence is a terrific guy. If I'm Mike Pence and I'm looking at the other uh, members of the cast that are possibly seeking the White House, I may be thinking, why not me? Uh, But at the same time, if you're going to be going out to Iowa and New Hampshire and standing on the national stage, you need to let us know here in Indiana. You need to let us know right away because that's going to affect the prism through which we see decisions coming out of the governor's office. Uh, because if if you're trying to govern Indiana but you're trying to be president at the same time, you can't pretend uh, like uh, both events aren't occurring simultaneously. And it it, it does affect how uh, statements are perceived.
0: And something tells me this will be a recurring theme of your availabilities probably throughout the
3: session? Well, as as long as the media keeps asking it, I'll keep answering.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on this topic quickly, uh, Brian Bosnick, legitimate concern?
3: Well, I think the media
4: can quit asking and Scott can <laughs> quit talking about it because it's not going to happen. Uh, Senator Long uh, assigned the bill to his Rules Committee. I said publicly, I thought it was terrible I say, public what, policy. you say
0: not, what's not going to happen, a lot of people would read into that different things. He's not going to run for it. No, no, pres- I'm sorry. I okay. better be clear. I thought we had the news bill's here, not I, going to.
2: Happen. Yeah, they, hey, we, well, the, the bill and am running are <laughs> had, two different things. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, oh. yeah, that's
3: two issues.
4: Anyone, and that's this is not Mike Pence, but somebody that's running for a national office needs to select to run for that national office, or they need to select to run for their state office. So it, it nothing to do with the personalities, bad public policy, and it's I don't think it's going to see the light of day. And those just tuning and, in. And by that, the way, the governor didn't, didn't ask for it. He's told oh. me that. I have no reason he not to he believe it. He found out when he read it in the paper. That's exactly and what he And the bill we're talking about,
0: for those just tuning in, again, would have allowed something that isn't allowed now, which is namely the, the governor can run for two offices at once, or any office A legislator could run for, for a federal uh, the office the, and a state, state office house in the and same Congress cycle. At
4: the same time. Terrible public policy.
0: And, and I should point out that, Senator Long, you uh, indicated you would be sending that to Rules Committee, which for the uninitiated is... Uh, the killing <laughs> fields, uh, or a permanent timeout, as parents might might uh, refer to it. Uh, you're thinking there.
1: Well, it's not always the killing fields, but it can be. And in this case, we're not going to hear it. And uh, I made that pretty clear the other day. I just feel strongly that you have to make a choice and a decision uh, as to which office you're going to run for. And, and there's nothing wrong, by the way, with Governor Pence being mentioned as a presidential candidate. It's, right. uh, it's an honor, I think, to be uh, you know, suggest that you be a good president. I think he would be, but. For him to have to make a decision and announce right now, I think is unfair as well. I mean, this is a process that takes a couple of years to work itself out. He's he's obviously been asked by a lot of people to consider it, and I think he needs to take his time. It's a big field. It's uh, it's a tough process. Uh, just give him a break and let him let him uh, you know govern at the same time. Try to explore whether or not this is something he should or shouldn't do, and whether it's good for him or the state.
5: And Tim Lyon, yeah. you can weigh in on this, and well, then we'll move yeah. on to. I mean. I think the the issue is he he can decide whenever he wants to, as far as I'm concerned. But the fact of the matter is, uh, whenever he makes a decision, takes some action, you have people saying, is he doing this because he's got an eye on the presidency? For example, he turns down the $80 million for early childhood education, federal dollars. Uh, Total surprise. Shocked me. Shocked a lot of people who are working hard on that issue. And what I kept hearing from people was, well, is he doing this because he's going to run for president? So, I mean, Hey, far be it from me to give him advice, but I think it would be better for him to make a decision. Until he does that, everything he does is going to be seen underneath the prism of is he possibly running for president? And, uh, but you know, that's his decision, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll you know, just you know, John, have to
1: watch him. Uh, I, I understand <laughs> the, the concerns, but if we were to take this attitude, you know, I think the best presidents are governors, people who've had executive experience and learned how to run things, had to make tough decisions. That's true and um, if we were to take this approach i don't think any governor given the way you have to run for president these days would be allowed to to take their time to make a decision i think that's unfair so we got to remember that that's that's uh... that's you know our best presidential candidates our governors give them a break you know i think they're all going to be criticized for that but you can't run for president if uh... you know if people don't want you to all right he's, he's gonna do a good job give him a break all right let's yeah. focus
0: on the legislature uh, you both, and I'm looking for those listening on radio to the two Republicans here at the, at the table, uh, you had supermajorities last year. After the November elections, you have even bigger supermajorities, two more seats in the House, three more in the Senate. Do we offer you congratulations or condolences?
4: Uh, we'll take both. Uh, I mean, it's, it, I'm, it's I'm not, being somewhat flippant, okay, but it does make matter, it more difficult, right? Yeah. Truth of the matter is we'll conduct ourselves, our team, our leadership team, will conduct ourselves precisely as we did uh, when we had a – Bare majority of fifty-two. When we were in the minority with forty-five. When we had sixty, sixty-nine, and now seventy-one. And that's decide what's best for the state of Indiana. Work closely with our uh, legislative colleagues in both chambers and uh, both parties, and uh, and try to come to the right conclusion. But it's on a
0: it. big caucus, and it's a very conservative caucus. That's true. And your job, of course, is to try to hold the middle ground, I well, presume. And fortunately,
4: uh, I'm big and conservative as well. I so know, degrees uh, of conservatism. In, in it's, all honesty. Uh, we're going to have a great session. We're going to work closely together. I gave words of caution uh, on Organization Day that a supermajority does not mean overreaching. In fact, I think it means a request for more bipartisanship, and I think Scott, hopefully Tim, uh, and I know David would say that you know we've reached out as much as we possibly can to make that happen.
0: And we all heard those kind of things on right. the first day of the session. The, do you buy it, or do you feel that that you are going to be listened to, that well, the caucus it, will be a, a legitimate voice in well, let
3: Well, let's look, let's look at the realities. I mean, we've been in this situation before. We can govern in this way. And my caucus has found ways I would assert to be quite effective at certain times because as long as you have those microphones, as long as you have the capacity to speak truth to power, and a lot of times the power is the gentleman sitting across from me, then you have an impact on public policy. And as I said the, on the opening day of session this year, it's our job to remind the public and the other members of the legislature that just because you have 71% of the seats doesn't mean 71% of the people agree with you. Uh, there are many of ma- mainstream Hoosiers that are in our camp, and uh, we will assert those views and those are alternative visions every day on the House floor.
0: And the, the divisions don't always line up on issues as people might expect. It's not always an R or D right. issue. In fact, David Long, I'm guessing there might be a few issues where you and Tim Lannon are probably, you'd rather negotiate with him? than members of your own caucus? Is that an exaggeration or is it? Well, I mean, no, I... I Try to I, I, get up from the headlines. really tough stuff. Let's yeah. move on to something political. Yeah. I mean, you're, actually, you're, you're, actually, you have we're the used same to, issue that, that Brian Bosma has. Very conservative caucus that, and some very strong-willed people, with issues that may not be on the agenda that you and Brian Bosma spelled out.
1: Well, I think, you know, we're used to governing with a large, you know, group of uh, Republicans. Uh, we had 37 uh, last session, 40 this session. And uh, we've managed to find a way not only to, uh, you know, to lead, which we are responsible to do as the majority party, but also to work with our colleagues across the aisle. And I think Tim and I kind of grew up in the Senate together. We were co-authors of many bills before we were leaders. And um, so we have a good relationship, a good working relationship and. the we're going to be I talking.
0: Yes, you do get along better. Yes. With no, I Landon didn't. Than I, you do it now. Okay. Actually, I didn't say that, and right. uh, but I, I have
1: great respect for our caucus. We're going to be fine, but I also respect the man uh, sitting across from me as well. We'll get a lot of good things done this year.
0: And Tim, Landon, how do you
1: remain relevant? How does your caucus, You're one of 10? Well, I mean, uh, we still
5: have our voices. We may not have the votes, and so we, we have an obligation. The, the obligation is probably even greater now than it's ever been to put out the other side of any given issue if, if, uh, Uh, If that's appropriate, Uh, there are many issues we will agree upon. I I think where we will see the rubber hit the road is when you do get an issue which you know really is political. For example, uh, you know this whole idea of a supermajority raises the issue: How did we get here? Well, I believe we need redistricting reform. We need to take a look at uh, you know how how we got in a situation where eighty percent of the Senate is you know Republican and. 79% 79% in the House. You'd like to turn it over and to
0: a nonpartisan right. panel and of Right. And so that's
5: going to, you know, if there's really truly some uh, willingness to work together in a bipartisan fashion to come up with a way that we can try to do what's best for, you know, uh, democracy, small d, uh, as opposed to politics, uh, and work together in, in a, on an issue like that, then I think we really truly will have succeeded in, in you know, in terms of this environment. But I don't envy David in terms of the number of people that he has to keep corralled.
4: The public would truly be shocked at the amount of time we spend together, this foursome right here, uh, working through problems, uh, trying to uh, uh, reach a resolution that is acceptable to each of us. And, and I'm going to toss one right out here right now. I agree with you on the redistricting reform. Here's what I would propose. I would propose that the four of us do what we've done on many other issues, and we collaborate this session on a, a serious study committee, and I don't mean a gloss study committee, but a serious study committee on what other states have done on bipartisan or nonpartisan redistricting, and we move that bill through uh, the House as co- co-authors, Scott, and send it over to uh, David and Tim and, and see, see how it goes for the four of us. Well, interesting enough, I have about four redistricting bills in my uh, in the Senate
1: right now. I, I don't have a problem with that process at all. We are going to hear uh, a, proposals, but I do agree with the Speaker. We need to know what's working, what's not. There's so, a variety of of ways to re- redistrict out there around the country right now, and we need to know you know, there's, there's been some bad situations where lawsuits have flown up and you've got a citizen redistricting process. We, we need to know what works, yeah. what doesn't, and what's best for Indiana, and I think we can do that in a fairly so rapid a fashion.
0: And, and what I'm hearing suggested is this is, you mentioned, a legitimate study committee, not a, absolutely. a rules committee kind of sub, it, uh, absolutely. study committee. It's, where time, it it's, time, it's time for us to consider. We're All right. Is this something you can sign off on? And, and well,
3: absolutely. You know, I, and I, again, I said on the opening day of session, we have to look at this in earnest because... Uh, you know, I, I'm going to tip my cap to my colleagues over here. They actually did too good of a job drawing these maps the last time, uh, because we have a number of areas in Indiana that are simply non-competitive, and it's because we've had computers drawing maps, <laughs> we've had uh, political leaders picking constituents too often instead of the other way around. The, the downside of that, you know, if the people want to send 150 Republicans to the State House, so be it. That's democracy. but we should have competition and we should have alternatives and the voters should get to hear those. And when you have certain areas of the state that are so lopsided, then you wind up being 50th or 45th or 47th in voter turnout. I don't think that's good for anybody. I don't like governing under those circumstances because we don't get the messages that we need from the voters to make ourselves the manifestation of their will. Yeah, Landon, you, you kicked
0: off the discussion on, on redistricting, so... Uh, well, our,
5: ca- our caucus has been involved in this process for a long time. I think uh, Senator Simpson had a bill going back maybe 10 years ago or better, you know, proposing a redistricting commission. So we're, we would look forward to that type of a serious discussion. It's all about timing, and the timing is now for us to move on this. So I, I, is I, there is Jim, one?
4: I've been the author of, of the same exactly. bill in You're the right. House. We've actually so passed we've it on to... a bipartisan basis twice. Yeah. But there's been reluctance because we haven't taken hard long okay. look at it over a summer uh, study and i think we're going to yeah, c- concluding right now that we'll do that Let me throw out one uh, other we're going to call it your commission
0: <laughs> all right my, my let's talk about another priority i mentioned it in the the open a lot of ease there ethics reform education economic well-being all of you have said more or less that this will be the economic or, i'm sorry the education session that that's a priority but i'm guessing and you all want to see more spending uh, on K through 12. But I'm guessing if I say the word education and we could look at the thought bubbles above your heads, you'd all have uh, dramatically different interpretations of what you want to see come out of the session.
4: I'd be surprised if that was the case. Um, Really? Okay, you want want to see
0: money follow the student
4: to a greater degree. That is true. My goal is more appropriations for public uh, schools this biennium than last biennium. That's going to be a difficult one, but I think when you see the House budget come out, you will will see that. Uh, I do think it's time to take a hard look at money following the child. We have a disparity as high as $4,000 per student for every student in a district between Carmel and uh, East Chicago. Is that right? I'm not saying it needs to be equal. I'm just saying we need to look and be sure, as one of my teachers of the year from two years ago said to me, exactly where is that money going? and what is it being used for? So we're proposing a hard
0: look at You're, that. You're, of course, right. worried about the impact on urban schools. <laughs> well, it, well, course.
3: absolutely, because it's one thing to increase education, but, but in many parts of Indiana, we haven't seen any increases. We've seen huge cuts, and we've Ooh. had to take st- steps back. Not necessarily well, you opposed, opposed, come to, I don't not opposed. Speaker, the come the to Michigan s- City area schools. We can show, we can show you well, the well, numbers. Well, this is because it changes also in the That's way That's right, of because the taxes, way, the shift of the and by the way, is, I'm, not, I'm not talking about more spending right now because we that's a separate discussion we have to invest in education but it's time that we take traditional public schools vouchers and charter schools and fund them from different pots of money stop moving dollars between the three different systems that we're now funding keep them separate fund them separately if you're going to cut them cut them separately and evaluate them separately because what's happening now is they all get sloshed in the same pot and you talk about overall increases but that's not what a lot of folks are seeing when when, when the dollars are disbursed. So that needs to be made separate so, so we can we can see what is happening, and then we can decide whether we're on the right course for education. Well, how
0: about that, David Long, because you have a set amount of money for education, and even if it increases, as I think you all agree you would like to have happen, if, if the governor's wishes about greater funding of charter schools, greater funding of the private school voucher program is eating out of that that. One pie, doesn't that by definition leave smaller slices for public schools that no, may struggle? I don't think
1: so, and I think the bottom line is we're giving up parents' choices. And you can look at it from two things, two directions. We need to fund the institution, or do we fund uh, the education of our children and let the parents decide what's the best decision? You have know, best school to send them to. And that's what the voucher process is. And by the way, I would point out that it is for. People without means, poor people right. who get the vouchers, not 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 a wealthy person. Right. It gives people who have no choices on where to send their kids an option that I have or you might have, but they don't have. So let's remember that that's that's what this is about. And, and secondly, I don't think we need to separate the pot of money. What we need to do is make sure that the funding is adequate for our schools, and that's what we're really going to focus on this year. Uh, and if that means we raise the foundation level, the basic fa- funding for every. For every child around the state to help, you know, increase and that is the dollars. Happened, right. I mean, realistically, then that, yes, I that think then I think that's that's a realistic approach. But but you know, let's just focus on the fact that our responsibility is to to give our children the best educational opportunities I, they have.
5: But I don't think, I don't think we can ignore the what has been the impact of funding uh, you know, vouchers and charter schools upon traditional public schools. There are many people in many communities, you know, they they still support and they want strong. Uh, public schools, so this, you know, when we take a look at are we going to change the funding formula, it's tough for a school system like the Muncie Community School System. They had to look at filing a waiver for their transportation system to go back to them and say, now, guess what, you may end up with even less money, even though, you know, we've taken steps at the state of Indiana to make it very difficult for you to even keep your school buses on the road. So I mean, there's an impact there, and this this is serious. I'm going to I'm going to be very interested to see what your house budget is, Mr. Speaker, because I've I've always said though, as long as we're not picking winners and losers, uh, as long as it doesn't come out of somebody's hide to do what you're doing, uh, that's going to be I think the trick. And there's a finite amount of a pool of money there to fund all of these
4: schools so, and so everything else that the facts governor wants. So than do. myths, like all the money's being taken away from public schools and going to private schools about 1.2 percent of the entire education uh, tuition budget goes to charters and voucher students and by the way charter schools are public schools non-discriminatory focused on a specific target so uh, if you just want to say what's going to uh, voucher non-public schools it's infinitesimal so it's when people say, oh, we can't do anything because of these vouchers. It's growing, but it's still about one and a half percent or less. But
3: again, I'm I'm, I'm not, uh, Speaker, I'm not going to dispute that statement. I mean, we can can dig into the numbers and decide how we interpret them. But again, putting them in three separate pots, all that costs is ink. All that costs is ink in the state budget. Um, It doesn't cost any school a dime. It doesn't make anybody lose or win that otherwise would have won and lost.
4: But then you're treating those students differently, Scott. Right now, Charter school well, we students receive now the, the same. The actually, they receive less than is received for a student at a traditional public school. Voucher students receive less than uh, the in their scholarship than uh, the same student going to a traditional public school. That's let me, let me weigh in on this too a little bit. <clears throat> Let's also dispel
1: another myth, which is that we don't believe in strong public schools. I absolutely right. believe in strong public education. It's our number one responsibility what we're trying to do is inject inject some options and choices for parents to decide where the best school is for their children and we're also trying to inject some competition and make sure but our goal is the same in this room which is to provide the best possible education for our children that we can to get them ready for a career and hopefully to stay here in indiana and our communities and and have a prosperous life that's what our goal is and that's what this is all about options choices new new approaches to education Money is always going to be an issue in education. We're always going to be fighting over that. But if the outcomes turn out to be uh, that we've given these kids a better education, then it's all worth it. Tim hey, Landon, we're almost out
5: of time, but I'm guessing you have a thought or two on this. Topic. Well, just I would add one more thing to what David just said, which is there's another component, which is expectations of the school performances too. And now we've gone to this, you know, grading of the schools. We're expecting all schools. Uh, to perform at a certain level. And if they don't, then they are penalized underneath the current system. So we've got to make sure that, you know, m- no matter what the school is, that they are properly supported. And again, my concern is that we're not taking from one type of school, however you want to characterize it, to equalize or to try to get a, a more equal funding formula for another type of a school. When you've got schools out there that really are, you know, they're operating just right at the brink already. So I just think it's going to be a very difficult in, in the governor's proposal to basically explode vouchers, I just don't see how he can do that. Well, that I'll will what, have an
0: impact. I'm going to get very low marks for my commitment to covering all the topics <laughs> that I mentioned at the, at the top of the show. We didn't get to ethics. We didn't get to economic well-being. Mm, well. But, hey, education is important. It is the education session. Okay. And uh, I appreciate your insights, as always, as we begin this uh, four-month process. Again, my guests have been House Speaker Brian Bosma, an Indianapolis Republican, House Minority Leader Scott Pilath, a Michigan City Democrat, Senate President Pro Tem David Long, a Fort Wayne Republican, and Senate Minority Leader Tim Lannon, an Anderson Democrat. The Governor has two important commitments coming up, his annual State of the State Address and his annual visit with us, Governor Mike Pence, on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for my weekly conversation with a man who, like his commentary, never seems to grow old. Indiana Lawmakers longtime political analyst Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, welcome to another fun season and another fun session.
2: You heard the roundtable, a lot of uh, collegiality Will that last? Even the body language was, was good. You know, we've, we've seen in the past, uh, sometimes in that, that first round table, everybody's kind of uptight and, and not willing to joke and certainly not willing to come to agreement on, on some key policy issues like they did at, at your behest today. But I, th- I think we're in for a, a collegial kind of session this year. And I think
0: Hoosiers would, would welcome that, but there are always those outlier issues that, despite the best intentions of legislative leadership to say we're going to focus on these sort of, you know, mutually beneficial topics. Will the Religious Freedom uh, Bill Restoration Act uh, play into it this year? Will it be – what is the, the, the issue that's going to get burst onto the scene and maybe uh, – derail um, the, the collegiality.
2: There are a couple of potential so-called wedge issues. One is religious freedom. Another is common construction wage. But I think that, that we'll see that even if they do come up, they're not going to, to provoke the same kind of, of personal issues and personal criticism and the kind of backbiting that we've we've seen in the past with some of those other similar issues. I think we're kind of past some of that. And the fact that the Republicans have, you know, such a, a wide supermajority in, in both chambers also means that the Democrats Aren't going to be able to have quite as much influence on those issues either. But the Republicans don't want to overreach. I certainly
0: can't walk off the floor because that wouldn't do much good. The quorum exists for Republicans anyway. Next week we have uh, the state of the state address. A lot of people will be watching. What can we expect? Well,
2: I think you'll you'll see the governor reiterate his, his push for education, education funding, education governance issues, all kinds of education-related issues, the pre-K thing. And I think you'll also hear an outline of the governor's new energy policy, something that we've been promised since essentially last March or April. But the real interesting thing I think is going to be the the address the next day by our new Chief Justice, Chief Justice Rush. I think you'll hear a lot of emphasis on what the courts can do to contribute to the state's economy. You may hear a particularly interesting initiative come from her about a special docket or court system for commercial litigation, and that would be a big contributor to to the state's economy as well. So you're saying Mike Pence will be the opening act for uh, Justice uh, Rush, right? Your characterization, not my (laughs) (laughs) exam. And this session, you think,
0: will conclude uh, on time. I always have to ask the question, special session, not this year, right? No, of course not, of course not. Uh, Republicans would have some explaining to do if that were the case, I presume. Ed, as always, I appreciate your insight. Thanks. For more information, streaming episodes, and extra content, go to WFYI.org lawmakers. You can also visit us at WFYI on Facebook and Twitter. Use the hashtag, IndianaLawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanas, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for tuning in and invite you to join us again at the same time next week. Until then...
2: The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or valet, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org.